You're listening to Yale Radio WYBC. This is Brainerd Carey with the lives of the artists, architects, curators, and more. Today on our show, I'm talking with Rafael Esparza. Rafa, thanks so much for being with me today. My pleasure, Bernard. Thank you for having me. Rafa, let's talk about your show that's at Artist Space right now. You have a number of things going on that I think we'll go through, but uh, June 9th just opened this month and is running through August 18th. There's a solo exhibit that's really immersive and, and quite evocative called Camino. Um, let's talk about this in, in terms of also the other work that's going on because we'll, we'll talk about other, other types of work, but of course... Artist space is, is a special space, too. It's um, a legendary space. It's a nonprofit space. And, um, and perhaps it's the kind of space that would, that would allow you and encourage you to make the kind of immersive exhibit that's, that's here, right? That there's something specifically suited to artist space about this show? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think um, the fact that it's lended itself to hosting experimental projects or immersive installations such as uh, the one that we built for Camino um, is something that I took into heavy consideration as I um, pondered on my proposal. Um, but so the work is, it is, like you said, actually like um, very informed also by um, ideas around humanism, uh, cyborgian kind of like um, uh, narratives that I want to explore within my work um, and while some of my cyborgs um, that we could talk a little bit further later on um, encompass these sort of like human um, car relationships um, uh, I'm also thinking about the road and I'm thinking about Los Angeles um, highways and um, how some of the, some of the first freeways um, that exists now throughout the country. One of the first ones was built here in Los Angeles. And so I've been kind of like ruminating on, on all of these types of relations of mobility, of access, of division um, and resources. Um, and a, a lot of that kind of like fed into um, what I ended up materializing through sculpture and painting at Artist Space. So let's talk about all the sculpture and painting in there because this is, um, you know, really ambitious what you've done there. And it's, it's essentially the idea, as, as I understand it, is it's, it's a section of a freeway that's in, in a sense been um, deconstructed or that's part of the material that's in there, right? We're, we're also looking at, as you say, paintings and sculpture, but, but this is also about a, a highway, right? A, a kind of um, piece of roadway. Camino, um, it right, is. which, which has, a, has a double meaning, right? You can also means walk, but also uh, we're talking about a, yeah, a, a road that has great symbolic value. Correct, correct. Um, I focused on the section of the 110 Arroyo Seco Freeway um, that when it was first built was connecting Pasadena to downtown Los Angeles and ended up being extended out into San Pedro, out into the ocean. Um, and or, or rather a beach city um but yes uh i w i was um thinking specifically of how like how divided and how imposed the grid of these highways have existed in los angeles and how they've 
gravely impacted a lot of the kind of like more working working people of like working class communities um, that are mostly like people of color um, and and growing up in Los Angeles, um, you kind of you don't really think to question um, the infrastructure because of how um, how often you have to kind of like navigate it. And um, you know, as I was thinking about my relationship to cars growing up, I was I started to also think of um, different uh, ways of being mobile in the city and how it's not really, it's not a, a, a walkable city. It's actually very hostile towards pedestrians and towards bikers. Um, and so I started to, again, kind of um, think about um, this, this architecture, um, this divisive architecture. And without, um, you know, without being too direct and leaving some some openness for how these landscapes could be interpreted um again because there's still like some there's something fraught and something unsettled um i was born and raised born and raised here in los angeles and so i have this kind of um this this awkward kind of like relationship to 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 roads or to highways specifically um but I, I remember um, during one of the first days of, of the pandemic, how empty these highways were and how eerie that felt. Um, I'd never seen these, these highways um, empty the way they were. And I remember taking pictures and I remember it feeling very dystopic in a sense, this kind of, um, this, this collapse of this kind of like, um, this system. Um, it just kind of like took me there. Um, these seeing these these highways absent of of, of cars, absent of people, um, and so I, as I was kind of like putting together um, some of these images and some of these like sculptures, um, I kind of revisited, revisited some of those photographs um, and took new ones and and edited edited again some of these cars and people and some of the life of the highways out. Um, and so, that, you know, that's, that's like one sort of example of this kind of like, this kind of like material collapse that I was positing within uh, the installation is, a, um, is giving these highways a different life. And, and let's talk about that, that kind of that life and that, what that means symbolically, because part of what you're talking about, as I understand this, is also kind of the way uh, urban design and architecture has a, I, I don't know if systemic racism is, is the right word, but that it, it does something to communities that, um, that, are, that are divisive, that are, that are the opposite of what we want to see done. It's the opposite of, of inclusivity. It's, it's the opposite of, of community as we know it, right? Or, or, or stop me if I'm going too far, but I'm trying to understand also your examination, your critique, of essentially um, what's happening when when roads like this are built and it affects communities. I mean, is is that correct? That's part of what's what's happening here. What you're talking yeah. about and around. Um, this is this is a type of uh, maybe redlining isn't the word, but something like that. Correct. 
Absolutely, I do see I do see the kind of like a, an infrastructural racism that's happening. Um, and there's always it's interesting because when you look at the history of how some highways were built, um, there's always been a movement against freeway building. Um, and uh, you know the 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 movement wasn't always led by people of color necessarily, but um, definitely like working class folks and. Um, you know, the, 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 the communities that did suffer, like, uh, forceful evictions um, and that to this day have to endure all of the smog and pollution that comes from these highways have been always um, black indigenous, like people of color. And while the movement against freeways um, has, never, has, has never sort of, like, ceased, uh, it has kind of, like, evolved in terms of, like, how it's approached um, reconnecting communities that have been divided by highways, how it's been connecting communities to resources that are usually, that are sometimes allocated outside of their neighborhoods, for instance, green space, uh, organic foods, um, these sorts of things. Um, currently, um, what, the, what, what some organizers and activists are doing are, are, are still like asking cities to reconsider um, the features of these highways, but they're also very active in doing these, um, these reconnections. Um, and so that really informed me that how I wanted to focus on um, connecting people to land by literally painting portraits of people walking barefoot on an adobe uh, panel, on an earthen panel. So let's talk about that. Yeah, the portraits in here, um, and, and as you said, some of these are of people walking barefoot um, on this earthen panel, and there's also kind of those those same bricks. I don't know if those are adobe bricks nearby, but what we're, we're seeing paintings of figures that seem to almost emerge out of the earth, right? It's this incredible... Uh, surface that you're that you're painting on in, in all the paintings in here and and it looks like you're painting on the earth essentially it, it looks like earth itself but the paintings are also full of this color um, yeah let's let's talk about those because that is the process right or I don't know exactly what the process is here but this, yes it is, is, it is um, it's um it's adobe it's a mud-based kind of like uh, building material that's been used um, uh, for centuries along the Southwest and in, in dry, arid areas around the globe. Um, I learned uh, how to work with the material from my father, who was an adobe brick maker in Mexico before he came up to the States in the 70s. And in 2014, I started to um, engage this, this uh, practice um, creatively um, to build architectural spaces um, and now currently to build these slabs that I that I paint on um, and so there's a lot um, there's a lot in working with this material in these different and these di two very distinct forms that I think um, that really defined uh, the the types of works that I'm making um, on the one hand working with adobe brick um, to build uh, a dwelling an architectural form um, they're very sound. Uh, they could last. They, 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 these structures do require maintenance, but they could last for hundreds of years. The way that I'm using them now to to make these 
um, slabs of of these panels made out of the same material make the works actually quite precarious. Um, and so they're, they're, it's unstable adobe. Um, it's sun-baked just the way the bricks are, uh, but it's very thin. It's like a, an inch and a half uh, thick. Um, the panels themselves um, could be as tall as seven feet by four feet wide. Um, and so there's like, there's an interior um, welded metal support that kind of like helps keep the adobe together, but it's alive. And so uh, it's always breathing. Uh, if there's enough humidity in the air, I've seen uh, grass spread out of these adobes. Um, and so there's, um, there's this, um, these formal um, qualities of the material that have always kind of like um, helped me think about um, what types of architectures uh, reflect me and which type of architectures feel very foreign uh, or make me feel very foreign when I'm in them. And so yeah, although there's been, it's become a material that has allowed me to kind of like build spaces that kind of like reflect, um, um, that reflect my, that reflect me, that reflect like uh, brown people. Um, and I think the way that they, the way that this material sort of like, um, um, becomes active with painting is I could kind of like draw in uh, uh, a history of 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 land, um, a history of of colonization, a history of uh, forced displacement. Um, there's there's so much memory in this material that um, that inform the different types of of images, people, places that I end up painting on them. And so in this regard, yes, it's quite literally putting people against um, an earthen surface. Um, when I asked people if I could take their photograph, I asked them to, to walk. I didn't ask them to pose. I wanted, I wanted them to be um, moving. I wanted them to be um, alive in their space. Um, and I did want to ground them quite literally um, in Los Angeles soil. And so this is this is land that's procured um, locally um, and that's shaped by the many, the many hands that have come into my studio to help me make these panels. Um, it's literally kind of grounding uh, the images of people that, that live throughout the city, uh, very much um, uh, in different quadrants within the grid. These are beautiful works and, and have such a kind of sensual feel to them. The, to, to speak a little bit about the, the material themselves, this is almost like working with, with concrete, isn't it? I mean, they're, they're braced in a special way to be able to be kind of shown upright. But is it, are these enormously heavy works as well, like literally? They are. They are. Um, some of them could weigh up to like um, six, 700 pounds. Um, yeah, they are a lot, they are, they are a lot more precarious in concrete, um, uh, concrete slabs. Um, again, because of, of the way that you work with adobe, adobe is traditionally sun-baked and it's not cured with any asphalt emulsion. It's like very raw ingredients, um, that include dirt that has, um, a percentage of clay content inherently, um, already in it. 
Um, we add horse dung, hay, and water. Um, I started to incorporate um, rabbit skin glue into some of these. Uh, and so trying to really keep with the recipe that, that my father taught me years ago, um, that precarity that I think um, that, these, that these labs sort of embody have always been uh, a feature or an aspect of the works that, that really inform um, how I approach working on them. Um, how I and what I decide to paint on them as well. There's this type of care, this type of stewardship that's, um, that's grown um, and really informed my way of uh, the way that I've worked with this material. Um, in, in, the, in some of the earlier projects that I worked on that included my contribution to the Whitney Biennial in 2017, was one of um, um, building a space where other people could sort of like show their works in, and it was completely made out of adobe. Um, and um, since then, I, um, I've evolved like this, working with this material into more intimate space of painting, um, yet there's always been the sense of stewarding, like stewarding, um, this process that's collaborative um, along with a lot, uh, many other like specifically like queer like people of color that I've worked with um, and there's like a, a learning how to become like a, a better steward to land um, by literally kind of like having a connection to the materials as we're like mixing them with our bodies with our feet um, and then like uh, thinking about how to like also care now for this this very precarious object and so uh, in the studio, I think this this notion of care is very much present in terms of um, um, it's it's funny because initially I was actually also very excited about a painting that could that could kind of like fall apart a, a painting that could sort of like self implode um, but the more that I started to kind of paint portraits of people and people that I know and people that are my family um, this this approach to uh, try to maintain like the wholeness or the integrity of their images and of the panel itself became of greater concern. It's a beautiful show and I, and I hope the listeners, you know, here can, can attend the show before it closes. I, I want to ask you about some of your other work before we go. Um, as you say, there's, there's also type of cyborgs, car, um, uh, kind of relationships in in your work, and maybe we can we can talk about that. There was a, uh, a beautiful photo shoot that I saw that you had done um, relating to all of this. But there's 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 several works that you've done that that of course in, include that. Um, where where should we we begin to to jump into the to the the work of there was there's a a series of photographs you did that was, you know, uh, you were using Michael Romero's car, um, but it was a whole series that was part of a performance, right, that you you posted to Instagram and had to do with this kind of relationship to cars. Is, is that correct? Yes, yes, yes. Um, uh, so in the lead-up to a performance that I was scheduled to do at Basel, Miami, um, uh, that was per invitation of LA Times images. Um, 
they they asked about how I would like uh, the performance to be documented. The performance entailed me um, sort of uh, ensconced in this um, uh, kind of like lowrider um, sculpture molded out of my body that was appended to um, a 25 cent machine ride, kind of like a pony ride that you see in front of a grocery store. Um, and the performance included um, allowing people to, to, to climb me and, and, and ride me uh, while they listened to an audio recording that I had, um, that, I, that was available through these earphones that people wore. Um, and, you know, in that moment, um, I, I mentioned to them like how, how myth-making is a very important proponent of my performance and how I, I've, with the exception of a couple of pieces where photography felt integrated, I, I rather not sort of direct any documentation, any photographic documentation. Um, but they, they suggested, um, what about writing? How does writing come into your, to your practice? And I do write a lot. Um, uh, it's reflective writing. It's, um, it's writing that also just helps you sort of like uh, put some ideas on paper before I visualize them. And, and they suggested what, what if um, the community that you're thinking about, that you're inviting to write you, what if we have um, um, conversations with them, like interviews that could be transcribed and that could become kind of like uh, a, a part of the document of how this work is becoming. And I thought that was really beautiful. Uh, and so we had um, uh, interviews with uh, Victor Barragan, who made um, the carnival ride tickets that were handed out to visitors during the performance. Um, they had an interview with Mario Ayala, uh, who paint, helped me uh, paint some text on um, the, the armature that I, that I was in during the performance. Um, they interviewed Guadalupe Rosales, who's been you know, within our own practice, um, kind of like attending to similar questions of these aesthetics that I was kind of like engaging in, in this performance. Um, and, and yeah, we had this really incredible shoot in Elysian Park, uh, which is an important place for um, lowrider cruising here in Los Angeles, uh, and is also like an active gay cruising park. So like these, it's a very important intersection. Uh, as it pertains to this performance and my work in general. Um, and yeah, we had the legendary Esteban Oriol, um, who's been documenting um, lowrider culture since the early 90s. Um, he um, did this photo shoot where a lot of these folks that were interviewed and folks from my community uh, participated in. Um, it, was, it, was, it was beautiful, and, and, and I'm so happy that they the LA Times images uh, suggested uh, this approach towards like documenting a performance. Um, Cause then, you know, the, the, the type of documentation that I've always kind of enjoyed about live performance um, are the ones um, that are kind of um, not necessarily directed by the performer themselves, but it's like these, these different perspectives and views from the audience. And so there, it's like these cell phone, pictures it's like these um um and it's also like the way that people uh, remember the performance and talk about it and share like these kind of like mythologies that form around like 
um, the kind of scarcity of uh, visual and textual documentation. And so having this kind of this document that that's not um, necessarily like centering uh, or centered or composed by images um, became like a really a really beautiful way of telling the story of this performance. I like that. Yeah, it is very beautiful. And uh, so the, the listeners here can not only come to your show, they can learn more about all of this through your Instagram site as well. Uh, Rafa, I want to ask you one more thing before we go a little off topic, but what are you reading at the moment? Um, it's funny because I, um, I was just playing it on audiobooks, but I've read this book already twice, and I always come back, come back to it for inspiration. Um, there, it's called Our Word is Our Weapon, and it's selected writings by Su Comandante Insurgente Marcos. Um, beautiful anthology collect, collections of writings um, that include like poems, um, long stories, um, letters written by Marcos to different like political officials. Um, incredible, incredible book. Very inspiring. Rafa, thank you so much for sharing that, and thanks for talking with me today and, and the, the amazing work you're doing. Thanks again, Rafa. I appreciate your time. Anytime. Thank you for having me. You're listening to Yale Radio WYBC. This is Brainerd Carey with the lives of the artists, architects, curators, and more.